0: Amen. Well, as we uh, come this morning, we're going to start a new series that's going to cover the next uh, about four weeks. Uh, I call it, for, uh, I guess for our purposes, conflict management, which is uh, it's an important topic, and it's a very applicable topic, not only for the church, but at home and at work and various... Places um, when it when it comes to the life of the church, sometimes we talk about that conflict management uh, can take the 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 shape or the form of church discipline. Uh, church discipline is one of those phrases that a lot of folks don't like. It has some negative connotations, but uh, there's some strong biblical language there and some strong biblical ideas behind it. And so, what I really want to do is uh, in the next couple of weeks. So next week and the week after, I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 18. I encourage you to to write that down and look it up this week. In the next two weeks, Matthew 18, 15 to 20. next week, we'll do the first half. The week after, we'll do the second half, uh, which is really where Jesus gives, you know, directly from him, gives us a process for, uh, for conflict management. He gives us his own pattern. And so to be a faithful church, we seek to follow that pattern as faithfully as we can. Uh, And you'll see as you read it, and as we talk next week, that 95% of the job is yours. Um, uh, But there is a piece of it at the end, you'll see in the end of Matthew 18, where it says to tell the church, um, which we believe is the church leadership, and the leadership may have to get involved. And so we're going to talk today about church leadership, so that as we go through those and get to that stage, we've got the context of this morning to understand what that means. And we'll talk Uh, more of that. And then uh, on the last sermon, we're going to talk about forgiveness uh, because at the heart of conflict management is forgiveness, the gospel, and its application in our hearts and in our lives and in our relationships. Uh, But for this morning, we're going to talk about biblical elders in Acts chapter 20. I'm going to read 17 then 28 to 31. There's a small awkwardness about Uh, preaching about your own job. Um, You know, I'm one of those elders, and so there's a little awkwardness there, but on the other hand, I would just encourage you to do this as we spend time in the Scripture, is to hear what God is saying in the text. right? Hear what God is saying uh, in, in His Word, and in the end, that's what I would want you to come away with from any sermon. It's not what Robert had to say, but how faithfully did you understand what God is saying in the text through how Robert presented it to you. So, Hear God's word. Acts chapter 20 verses 17 and then 28 to 31. Now from Miletus, he, that is Paul, sent to Ephesus. And he called the elders of the church to come to him. Verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock which God, the Holy Spirit, has made you overseers. To care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves, within your own ranks, will arise men speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them, and therefore be alert. And there, pray with me. Father in heaven, we do come to you and to your word this morning. We know that your word is living and true. We long only to understand it, and to apply it, and to live it. We pray that even as we gather more information and learn some things this morning, that you would take us past our learning, that you would shape our hearts and our minds and our lives and our obedience around the shape of your word, that we would live what you say, and bring honor and glory to you in the way that we do it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I want to start with just a question of what is God doing in the world? And how is he doing it? And that's a big question. What is God doing in the world? And then how is he doing it? And I think that there's both a cosmic answer to that question. There's, you know, a big thing that God is doing in the world. But there's also a very local answer to that question of what God is doing. Cosmically, he is bringing glory to himself as he reconciles all things to himself in Christ Jesus. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And on this big cosmic level, that's what God is doing. He's got this grand mission that he is accomplishing. But as we get down to the local question of how is he doing it, and the answer becomes he's doing it through the gospel, That is preached by his people. He's doing it through the gospel by gathering a people to himself. A people that he will be their God and we would be his people. Right? And that's from the earliest pages of the Old Testament, what God has said he is doing. He's gathering a people out of the world and he will be their God and they will be his people. And we are the local expression of that, his church. So starting in the earliest pages of the Old Testament, we see God gathering a people. He assembles Israel. He calls them out of the world and he, he assembles them together and he takes them and places them in a land. And he sets over them elders. Right? Right? Numbers chapter 11, verses 16 to 17, and if you, if you, I don't know if you have Bible program or you go online and you can do Bible searches or programs online and search the word elder, you'll find that hundreds of them are all in the Old Testament, where the elders are placed over God's assembled people. And so we read this from, from Numbers 11, the Lord said to Moses, Moses is the leader that he had called to lead his people, and it was too much for Moses to lead all those people, so He says to Moses, gather gather to me 70 of the men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them. Right? And so the elders, not everyone who was elderly, was an officer over them, but among the the, 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 those who had lived a little while, among those who had experience and wisdom, there were those who had this office officers over them elders of the people and officers over them he said take some of those who are over the tribes and towns of israel the elders and gather them and i will take some of the spirit that is on you and i will put it on them and they will bear the burden of the people with you the role of the elder moses being you know as a leader and the elders gathered is to bear the burden of the people so that they that you moses would not bear it yourself And so Israel is set apart as God's people. He gathers them together, sets them apart, and he ordains an office of elder over them to lead them. The word church here is a little bit unhelpful. Because I would say he ordains the elder and he puts them over the church, even in the Old Testament. The word church, I've told you this before, but I I say it all the time, when you get to the word church, it's really unhelpful because the word church does not actually translate the Greek right most of the words here that we're reading it's giving you an english equivalent of what's there in the greek but this word church is not it doesn't have much meaning for us in the english does it i mean i think it comes from scottish kirk and goes back and doesn't really translate the word there's a word here and going to the greek sometimes can be only this much helpful but you should know a few greek words a handful you know that 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 have some meaning and give some richness to your reading and one of those words i think you should know if you don't already is ecclesia. Right, E-K-K, as it is in the Greek, E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A, the Ecclesia, the Ecclesia. It's the word that's underneath the word church here. And it literally translates what the word means in, in the context of the Greek. They wouldn't have known church, what that meant, even as we really don't either. They would understand it as the word assembly or the gathering. And from Old Testament times through the New, that the assembly of God And that's how it became technically to be, not just any assembly, but the assembly of God's people, the assembly of a believing people, the assembly of those whom God is gathering. So the ecclesia of God's people in both the New and the Old Testament. So God gathers a people, an ecclesia, a church, and he sets elders over them. And this is not new in the New Testament. Sometimes we think all this stuff just kind of shows up. But this is just a continuation of the pattern that God had used for thousands of years of gathering a people and setting elders over them. The focus of God's kingdom on earth is the, the locus and focus of his work. is in and through the ecclesia. It was in the Old Testament. It is in the New Testament, the church. The church looms large in the purposes of God, you could make the argument that the entire purpose of all of creation and why it ever was made, in all of from the farthest reaches of the of the stars to the the, the profundity and complexity and the beauty of the earth and the meaning and the purpose of all of it is you, the church. Because everything else is going to pass away and be renewed. But one thing that is going to come through creation that He assembles from one end and takes out the other end that will inhabit the new heavens and the new earth is you, the church, the ecclesia, the people that will be His people and He will be their God. And that's what He is doing and that is when all passes away is what will remain, is what He has created in us the focus and locus of his work on the earth is in and through this Ecclesia. The church is described in the scripture as a family, as a body, and as, as in this text, a flock. Right? A flock is a gathered group of sheep. It's not a flock if there's one in that town and one over there and one over there. It's only a flock when they're, they're together. Right? The, the collected, gathered sheep make a flock. A flock belongs to a particular owner. Every metaphor that the Bible uses about the ecclesia, family, and body, and flock, and however you want to take it, all of them make clear that when God saves us, right, he makes us part of something much bigger than ourselves. Right? And in America, in our sort of uh, period in history, we have very individualized our faith um, and very isolated in some ways our faith. When, when God's understanding of what he's doing, at least as I understand it from the Scriptures, is that what God is doing is very corporate. It is, it is ecclesial. It, it, is, it is the ecclesia of the church that he is gathering and forming and using as an outpost on earth. Of the kingdom that he is bringing. And while God is establishing a worldwide kingdom. And we see that. He is gathering people from every nation, tribe, language and tongue. We see him gathering a nation, a worldwide kingdom. But we also see that wherever they are in the world, in the wide world, they assemble. And they assemble as a flock. Called out of the world, whatever town or community they're in, they find themselves united to Christ, and so they find themselves united together in a body. Gathering, worshipping, with a structure and a leadership. Greg Gilbert says it this way, the local church plays a unique and vital role in God's work of redemption. Because it is the embassy of the kingdom of heaven, in this dark and fallen world. In other words, the local church was created by King Jesus himself. It was commissioned to do a particular thing in the world. It's chartered with authority to speak in his name. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. We'll hit that. That's in Matthew 18 at the end of that section I just talked about. Most of the letters in the New Testament are written to the local church. Church gathered in a town. And so you get the letters to the church in Corinth. And you're to read the letter. You're to gather and read the letter. And then you're to gather and they teach those letters. And they get the letters from the other towns. And they gather and they read them. And they're taught through those letters. Paul's teaching the the faith delivered to the saints. But to the letter to Corinth. To the gathering of the saints in Philippi. To the gathering of the saints in Colossae. It's written either to local churches or it's written to pastors. The letters to Timothy, Timothy, the pastor at the church of Ephesus, the one that Paul calls to right here for the elders to come. Paul sent, we see in verse 17, to Miletus. He sent uh, from Miletus to Ephesus and he called the elders to come to him, the leaders. The first thing you notice here, the word is plural. That in the town of Ephesus, there's a church, and that church has multiple elders. And we'll see that this is the pattern every single time. That in every local church, there are multiple elders. And he calls to Ephesus, to the church there, and he calls the leaders, the elders, to come. And we see here what we see throughout the Bible. That wherever you have a church, in the Old Testament or New, wherever you have an ecclesia, a gathering, a collecting of God's people, wherever there is a church, there are elders. Acts 14, 23, a half a dozen chapters before our chapter here. It says that when they had appointed elders, again, plural, it doesn't say when they appointed an elder in every church, but when they had appointed, sometimes that word can be translated elected, which is the way we do it. When they had appointed or elected elders for them in every church, this is a pattern where you have a church. You elect or you appoint elders for, for millennia to the beginning of God's work on the earth every church every local assembly is defined and given ordained leadership Titus 1 5 he says it this way this is why I left you Titus church planter and ultimately pastor on the island of Crete this is why I left you in Crete so that you could put what remained in order to give it structure to finish ordering the way God orders it I left you there to appoint elders in every town in every town is the same as saying in every church because right, in those days, they went town to town, planting a church. The towns were small, and the church was new. And in every town, they planted a church. So, uh, you know, I know Chattanooga has more churches per capita than any other city in the, in the planet. Um, but it was not always so. Once upon a time, the towns were small, and the, and, and, the, and the initial work of gathering a church was small. So, this is why I left you to put in order to appoint elders in every town. The Old Testament pattern, every tribe, every town, every synagogue. Had its elders. Now, in 28, then, and this is the core verse I want us to unpack, is is rich with information and understanding God's intention. In verse 28, Paul says, and, and you understand from 17, he calls the elders to him, and the rest of this chapter is Paul instructing the elders and then praying for them. And he and he calls the elders here. Paul is on his way. Uh, from Europe back to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has made it clear to him that he's going to suffer. It's not going to go well for them, him in Jerusalem. And so he knows that this may be the end of him. So on his way back to Jerusalem, he stops on the coast of Turkey, of Asia Minor, in the city of Miletus. And he calls, sends somebody inland to the, to the town of Ephesus and asks the elders to come and meet him. So he can have one last powwow before he goes and may never see him again. This is a church, Ephesus, that Paul planted and spent years. uh, Some say two or three years there discipling, preparing, and raising up elders who would be prepared to lead. And so as he comes, these are men he discipled and left and pointed over the church. And he calls them to himself. And he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer to care for the church of God. Which he has obtained with his own blood. All right, Paul uses the biblical imagery of shepherding, right? When he calls them a flock, you know, you're just to pay careful attention to all the flock, right? That's what a shepherd does. He pays careful attention to the flock, that's his job, right? And so he says, calls the church a flock. And we should not miss that this also is powerful and pervasive Old Testament imagery. This is not new in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, Israel was considered God's flock. And the leaders, often the prophets and the elders, uh, sometimes the the scribes and the teachers, they were uh, considered the the elders over his people. If you read Ezekiel 34, that's where God comes after the shepherds of Israel for not doing their job or doing it with wrong motives. And you can see so that Israel, that God's people are his flock and that he sets elders over them. And so this is powerful imagery from, from all of Scripture. But we see it in the New Testament in 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2. He says this, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock that is among you, right? The local flock. Don't shepherd the flock, you know, some people say church because it has a capital C and there's a worldwide church and the body of Christ is, is, is a church in all the world, in all time, and in all places. And this is all true. But Paul is always, is, the scripture is always written to a local expression. Elders of this particular flock, shepherd the flock that is among you, that is gathered together there, right? It's a defined group. They can't shepherd a group. They don't know who they are. And so they, they shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight. That's what a shepherd does. He oversees a flock. And we'll come back to that word here in a minute. But this is 28 elders, 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and the flock. To pay careful attention is to watch over it, to guard it, to guide it, right? If a, flock, if a shepherd is paying careful attention to his flock, he's protecting it. Right? He, is, he is guiding it to safe pasture. He's, he's guiding it to good pasture where they can eat. He's, he's taking care of it. If any of them stray, he goes after them. If they don't want to come back, he picks them up. I hear sometimes he actually carries them back on his shoulders and puts them back in the flock. Shepherds are keepers of sheep. They lead and protect and feed and pursue God's flock. And The Bible tells us in so many ways, Old Testament and New, that this is the role of an elder. Verses 29 and 30, and we see, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among the flock, not sparing the flock. From among your own selves will arise men or women speaking twisted things. And you have to protect the flock from these folks, the ones who will speak twisted things in their midst. And so this is part of the elder's job in exercising oversight in, in, in these false tier- teachers or these who would speak twisted things among. This is one of the reasons I know. It, I don't know if you've ever been a small group leader or part of a men's or women's ministry in <clears throat> the, the session. You always have to get your material and your teachers approved by the session. Some people find that annoying. You know, where it's a layer of bureaucracy, you know, we gotta get it approved and that kind of thing. And I would say it's it's right here that, that there there are wolves that come among and, and and the job of the elders, the pastor, is to protect the flock from from false teaching. And from false teachers or the stuff they may use. And so how can, the, how can the session do that? How can we as elders do that if we don't know who's teaching and being appointed to teach and where they're coming from or what they might say or what material they may be using? And so in some small group or Sunday school class, who knows what they're teaching them? And wolves do come in and they do teach things that we would say. We, our job in protecting the flock, and that's where we would ask you for, for patience in that, is that our job is to, to protect so that the truth in God's word remains pure in our midst. Notice the structure of the church is God's idea that God creates the church and God creates and installs the elders in the church. Right, He says, you pay careful attention to the flock that is among you, the flock that he, God himself, has gathered, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit has appointed you and installed you as elders. God installed the elders. It was God's purpose that they should have elders, and the Holy Spirit himself was in the process of establishing and installing elders for his church. God created the office of elder, and the Holy Spirit puts you in the office. And God provides then and these ordained elders and shepherds to care for his flock. Because he loves his church. And so he provides for his church. And what brings home the profound significance of all this is he not only created the office of elder, but he created and gathered the church. He says he has made you overseers to care for the church of God, the ecclesia, the gathering of God's people, which he obtained with his own blood. All those who have come under the blood of Christ, the mercy and forgiveness that is his, in a a local place, he gathers together. Shepherds know their sheep. And their sheep know them, and they follow their shepherds who care for them. This is God's design. It's it's how he's doing what he's doing in the world. I know it's a grand scheme that he's redeeming all things to himself in Christ. But we see as he works it out, he works it out first in your life, in bringing you to Christ, the blood-bought folks, and connecting you to something bigger than yourself, drawing a people and assembling them together in an ecclesia of God, a believing community over which he gives structure and leadership. And it is through the church then that the kingdom is preached and the, 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 the poor are helped and the, the needy, and then the way that the church then functions in its united resources and being a, an agent and a mission of the kingdom of God in the midst of a broken world. Let me just touch for a moment on the word overseer. Well, let me just notice and to say that this is, as I say, this is what God is doing. That's why Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia, my my assembly of a believing people. I will create a believing people for myself. I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. It's what he's doing. It's why I became a pastor. I told anybody for probably a decade who would listen between high school and and the other side of college, that I will never, ever be a pastor. And it was in seminary, having a biblical theology of the church, and being in the Bible enough to see it's what God is doing. It's how he's doing it. And notice that he, when he talks about the role of a shepherd, he describes a job as overseer. <clears throat> right? He says, that, pay careful attention to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Right? He calls the elders to himself, and he tells them to watch over the flock because the Holy Spirit has made you elders overseers. This is important when we we'll talk about church government. Um, Because the Greek word here, and we'll give you one more, two Greek words today. Underneath the overseer, there is the word episkopos. And you might recognize it from the word, you got one of the denominations, is Episcopalian. Comes from episkopos. So, uh, Episcopalians, or the Episcopal Church, are those who are governed by overseers. Now, the first thing we just want you to know, that that word literally means to oversee. It means to watch over. It means to provide oversight. And so in that sense, uh, to govern or to rule, like the shepherd rules the flock. No, stay here. No, stay here. No, we're going this way. You know, I I feed you. I protect you. You know, it's to provide, literally to provide oversight. But some translate that word overseer as bishop, and they think that it describes a separate office. And so for those who think that overseers is different office, who oversees elders, so now, for those who go this route, Episcopalians, a hierarchical form of government, Roman Catholics, Episcopalians, they think, they think the overseers over the elder. So you had elders and overseers, and they're separate. Clear from this text, another one we'll look at, is that elders and overseers are the same people. He called the elders, and he said, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So elder is what you are, overseeing is what you do. It's not a separate office. It's the function of the office. It's, for me, very clear from the text. The same people. Overseeing is what they do. Like a shepherd oversees a flock. We see it in First Peter 5. We looked at this a minute ago. So I exhort you elders, the elders among you, as a fellow elder. Shepherd the flock that is among you. What does it mean to shepherd the flock, Paul or Peter? Exercising oversight. That's what he says. To to shepherd the flock is to oversee it. That's what a shepherd does. Elders and shepherds, I exhort you elders to oversee and provide oversight. 1 Timothy 5.17, it says this, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the preaching and teaching. Let the elders who rule well. He's saying that their job of an elder is to rule. They should do it well. That may be debatable around here. But the job is to rule, right? It's to oversee, you know? It's just another way. It's a different word. It's not the word oversee, but it's making the same point. The elder's job is to rule well. The NIV translates the word rule there as to direct the affairs of the church, right? That's how the NIV kind of makes it clear, to lead and oversee the church. 1 Timothy seven says this, for an overseer is God's steward. So he must be above reproach. So the overseer is a steward. So he's a ruler. He's a steward, right? The steward is a household manager. He's responsible for the the owner of the house, has property and servants, and the household manager oversees it for him. He's a steward of the owner. We see in 1 Timothy 3.5 that one of the qualifications for leadership, for being an elder, is that he has to manage his own household well. Why? Because if someone can't and does not know how to manage his own household, how is he going to care for God's church? How is he going to manage God's church? Right? The job is managing, right? stewarding. And if you can't manage or steward your own house, how are you going to be able to do it in the church? And so part of that is a spiritual maturity that starts at home. So I say if it doesn't work at home, it doesn't work. For all of our marriages and for all of our Christian lives, whether it's leadership or not, but especially and for leadership, it's got to work at home. If it's going to be translated into the role in the life of the church. Elders are shepherds. Overseers who oversee stewards. Managers of God's household. The local flock that is among you. As God has structured it for literally now. 4,000 years. Let me just throw at you a handful of applications. Well a handful. First if you're here Today. And you've not put your faith in the Lord Jesus. Can you not see that God is doing something bigger than you? That he is doing something big in the world, bigger than all of us. Jesus is building his church. He is gathering a people. A people to be with him forever in a new heavens and a new earth. And the way into the people, the way into the ecclesia, is by putting your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus. Giving your life to him. you've never done that, I encourage you to do so and to tell an elder, to tell one of us that you've done so. But second, let me say this as we apply this, that the whole Bible, as I've tried to show very quickly, the whole Bible stands as a challenge against the modern, particularly American mindset that takes the gathering of the church lightly. When I would say the ecclesia, is at the center of God's purposes and the way that he accomplishes and the place, the locus and the focus of his work and the discipling and the maturing and the growing and the outreaching and the uh, uh, expanding of his kingdom. It's in and through the church. I'm often asked, and this is in a, such an American, modern American question, can someone be a Christian and not go to church? Right? Such a modern American question. Can I, can I have it and can I do it whatever, but, but not have to be, you know, be a part or serve or give or, you know, I don't need to tithe. I don't need to use my gifts. I don't need to be a part of the mission. I don't need to be, you know, can I just, can it just be me and Jesus? Can I, can I be a Christian and have no part of what, of the ecclesia? The short answer I'll give to that is like technically yes. But the longer answer is you cannot be a healthy Christian. Growing, obedient Christian, disconnected from the ecclesia, having separated yourself out from what God is doing in the world so clearly from time immemorial. Hebrews 10 24 and 5, we know, says, Let us consider. And the word consider there means to think about it. He says, Let us consider. Let's think about this. Let's think about how to stir one another up to loving good deeds. How opposite from that is, let us consider and think about, if I can be a Christian and not have any part of it, right? Let us consider how to to love each other and to stir one another up, not neglecting to meet together, as some are in the habit, but rather encouraging. You see, negatively, he says, "Don't, don't not be part of the ecclesia. Don't not gather together like some are doing, especially in our day, and I guess it started a long time ago, He says, but positively, you should actually be thinking the absolute opposite of that, of how can I love this group of people and encourage you and stir you up one another together as God assembled and called out people. Third application then is this. Understand the abiding significance of the office of elder. It's an ancient Old Testament office that continues into the New Testament. And to see that this is how God has been at work in the world, organizing and gathering his people for millennia. Fourth, take seriously then your role in nominating and electing officers. And you're going to see this as we are about to send out a letter in the next couple of weeks. And we ask for your nominations for the office of of deacon and elder. Um, And we, we covet your participation in that. And, and part of that is that you have to pay attention in the life of the church in your small groups and home fellowship groups and Sunday school classes and wherever else you're in, in relationship with people. Pay attention to see what men God may be gifting and calling to serve in the life of the church. And then to help us out there as you see them in the nitty gritty of the church life who you think God may have prepared or be preparing for that office. So that they can be nominated and elected. But to take seriously your role and give us some nominations. Fifth, submit to the government and discipline of the church. Most of you recognize that as a vow you took. You promise to submit to the government and discipline of the church. And I know that strong language. If you went through the new members class, we unpack that. And we try to do that to have a good understanding of what that means. But what it means is God has structured, has called the church, structured the church, and placed leadership over it. And for 500 years, at least since the Reformation, this vow has been taken by Protestant and Reformed Christians, this vow to submit, recognizing that God is doing something bigger than me. And I know this kind of language scares people, the idea that authority and submitting can have a bad name, it can be abused, has been abused. But while that is true and there are dangers there, and this is why we go to next week and the week after, and how do we handle that? Brokenness or those failures in the life of the church because there's a right way to handle them and a wrong way to handle them. And to look at how we're supposed to be handling that brokenness. But God says things like this in Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them because they're keeping watch like a shepherd over your souls as those who will have to give an account to who? To God. They're his under-shepherds, steward of his house, his blood-bought people. So obey and submit to your leaders or keeping watch over your souls. They're going to give an account to God. Let them do this then with joy and not with groaning. Don't make it miserable for them. That would not be an advantage either to them or to you. It's not good for anybody in the health and the life of the church. We will not agree on everything. You will not agree or like everything the elders do or decide. That's part of what it means to to submit, doesn't it? If you agree in that kind of stuff, you know, there's no no room for it. But unless there's heresy or something, you know, there's a call, there's a relationship that God has established. And there's elders here. That's why you need to nominate them and elect them as the men that you see God at work in and called to lead us. Finally, I would say this. Join the church. Take membership seriously because God is gathering his people in local assemblies. When I look at that verse in Hebrews 13, if you could put that back up again. In order for you, he says, obey and submit to your leaders. Now, how do you know who your leaders are? Right? As we gather, church people come in and out. There are, you know, somewhere along the line, you have to decide who your leaders are. That the elders that God has put over this assembly, are they your leaders or not? And if they are, then that's, in a sense, a defined relationship, one that we both should be aware of. If you've decided we are your leaders, I'd like to know that, right? Because Why? Because my job, then, is to keep watch over your soul as someone who has to give an account to his God for how he did it. And so how can I keep watch over people if I don't even know if they're part of my flock? And so there is this definition here that you'll see as we do in the next, in, in church discipline and talking about that but but there's a relationship here they're your leaders and it's their flock so much so they're accountable to God for it and so we should have some some sense that we've entered that relationship and so we call it church membership Uh, strictly speaking you see it in the Bible no but yes the bigger the church gets the more structured it may have to be close with this God loves his blood bought church With such an undying and dying love that he provides for it. He gave his son. He poured out his Holy Spirit. But he also gathers it together and creates a family and a flock and a body. And and he provides leadership because he loves his church. It's what he's doing. It's how he's done it. It's how he's still doing it. Jesus is building his church in local assemblies. And the Holy Spirit is installing elders. It's what God is doing in the world in and through his church. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your blood-bought church. We thank you that when you save us, you don't leave us alone, but you actually make us part of something bigger than ourselves. You not only connect us to Jesus, but to the church and to the ecclesia. Father, we thank you for your church and for the elders. I know the elders here, Father. I know the Blood, sweat, and tears that they quite literally pour into watching over your flock. Father, I pray that you would work among us such that we would love one another. That we would manage our conflict in a way that is godly, biblical. And brings honor to glory to you and health and peace to your church. We pray that you would be at work in the midst of us all. That we would bow the knee to King Jesus and to your word and what you're saying to us here.